Have a seat. Yeah, seriously. Ellen and I were calculating, if we've counted right, I think this is our 10th visit to Mount Hermon. Um, I know to some of you, you're like rookies. We've been here 47 years. We have 14 generations of our family have carved our initials in that cement over there. I started to say tree, and I know that was unacceptable. So I switched to cement right there and pulled that one out of the dirt. But um, we, we love this place, and I, I would just encourage you um, based on Mike's challenge about the offering. There's, there's two kinds of offerings at camps. There's the offerings where it's like, oh, yeah, that's today. And you reach in your pocket and you're like, you know, oh, there's an Abraham Lincoln. Nah, 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 it hadn't been that good a week. There's a George. Let me pull out the George Washington and throw him in. And then, and then there's the prepared kind of offering. So um, Mike can't push this hard because then we'd whine about him because he's a director. Okay, I'm not on staff here. And I may or may not get invited back anyway. Reach in front of you and grab one of those envelopes now and just tuck it in your Bible, tuck it in your purse, take it home as a reminder, and let's give a, let's give a prepared offering in the morning and let, let's, let's do something special to make sure this uh, place continues to do its great work. Um, I have some pictures for you of our family. Let's see. Here's one. Ah. We have, reading from left to right, our son, Philip, um, in the back row, his wife, Erica. They've been married six years now. That's Chipper, who is a blue healer with a beagle head screwed on. Um, <laughs> then we have our daughter, Emily, who lives in the Atlanta area. Philip and Erica live in Omaha, Nebraska. Ellen, who you've all met, and, and me there. And I was going to do this the first night so we could get to know each other, but I got so excited about displaying my tattoo... Albert, you just, you, you set me up so beautifully that I forgot to do this. A couple more pictures. Here's one. Beep. Ah, there's Philip and Erica. Aren't they cute? Man, you, you would hope children like that could produce some pretty incredible looking offspring. And ta-da. Dun-da-da-dun. That's Ava May. Turned one in March. Uh, they're expecting another one October 1st. That was cow day at the Chick-fil-A that our son is. And um, she's already got like a free play area of her own. But still, you know, she'll do anything. They just for the first time let her taste Chick-fil-A sauce. And she used the same nugget like 14 times just as a spoon. Never ate the nugget, just gummed the sauce off. So, so there's, there's our family. And Ellen actually loaded up about 22 more of those, but we just don't have time for those tonight. Did you get handouts on your way in, Ruth chapter 4? Anybody not get one of these? Wave your hands. And somebody, there's a few there. If somebody can grab some and hook them up, that would be great. Uh, raise your hands and we'll, we'll make sure that those come to you. This is my final time to get to speak to you, and so, again, um, obviously, thanks to Mike, you and your team, great staff. Um, the, the worship team has been incredible. Albert, I think you and I are going to be friends and get in trouble together for a long time, hither and yon. We were uh, dreaming some dreams together this afternoon. It's some pretty cool opportunities maybe in the future, um, but I want to say thank you to you because... Um, you have been not only receptive to the word, but responsive to it, and um, tremendously encouraging. So let's, let's finish strong tonight, shall we? Anybody still need a handout? I know they're coming here. Okay, good, good, good. Father, thank you for your word.
Thank you for the book of Ruth, never more relevant than today, dear Father. And today, as we finish our look at it, um, may this motivate us to even go deeper when we go home. And um, we love the fact that you are a God who finishes what you start. Just as we were singing, Lord, you, you don't just let the labels that are given to us by people stick. You change the way that we are known. You call us sons and daughters. You call us a royal priesthood. You call us your precious ones, your beloved ones, your righteous ones. And even tonight, as you are changing the identity of the people in this story in Ruth chapter 4, let us take it off the page and into our lives for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So chapter 3, Ruth and Naomi are back in the land of Israel. They've come from Moab. God has supernaturally provided for them through a series of coincidences that if this were CSI Bethlehem, you would see God's DNA all over those coincidences. Ruth goes to glean. She ends up in the field of a man named Boaz, a very generous individual, a righteous man. He provides, he protects, but it also turns out he's related to Naomi, to Naomi's husband, Elimelech, and there's this thing called the kinsman redeemer, where a family member, when somebody is lost, especially a husband and a father, the nearest male relative plays that role and provides for the family. And Ruth has offered herself to be the bride of Boaz, and um, we don't know what he's going to do yet. Ruth goes back to Naomi. She gives the report, and, and Naomi's like, <gasps> she goes, I know Boaz, okay? He's got a reputation up to this point. He's been ruthless. Honey, you can fix that. I know you can. That's a joke. You can laugh. And, um, but he's a man of action. He's not, he's not going to let this sit very long. But there's suspense as you turn the page from chapter 3 to chapter 4. Chapter 4 begins, and it says, meanwhile, meanwhile what? Well, meanwhile, the last line of chapter 3 Naomi has just said, wait, my daughter, till you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Then it says, meanwhile, could it be that even as Naomi is uttering those words to Ruth, that Boaz is already making his move? That would seem to be the simple mean of the word meanwhile. Simultaneously, look what's happening. Boaz went up to the town gate. Now, um, that doesn't mean a lot to us. That's the center where business was done. That was the governmental hub. That would be a cross between like um, the, the county seat, the government office, the city hall, but also Santa Cruz Mall, all put together there. It's not just the place where you go in and out of the city. That's the place where civic and personal matters were conducted, especially anything of a legal sense. And he went to the town gate, and he sat there. I don't think Boaz sat very often. But he's patient, because he's going to see this through. When the kinsman redeemer, this is the relative who's closer to Naomi than Boaz is. When the kinsman redeemer, I don't think we ever even find out his name, that he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. 
fairly casual greeting, don't you think? Ah, okay, sure, I got, I got a few moments. Let's, let's chew the fat for a while. So he went over and he sat down. Then Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did. It's been mentioned a couple of times that Boaz is a man of strong character. He's a man of high standard in the community. If you can say to ten of the town elders, have a seat. And they don't say, well, actually, we meet on Thursday nights. You'll have to submit an item if you'd like it added to agenda. You know, there's a committee that puts together the agenda. They just sit down. This guy has the respect of the leaders of the community. Then Boaz said to the kinsman redeemer, a relative of his, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling a piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of the people. If you will redeem it, then do so. But if you will not tell me so, I will know, for no one has the right to it except you. I'm the next in line. Drum roll, please. Zoom in on camera two. Moment of suspense. What's he going to do? Now, some would say Boaz is 100% neutral about this. I don't believe that for a minute. I think God has already turned his heart toward Ruth. I think he's just kind of internally tapping his foot. He's not going to let his toe be seen moving on his sandal. He's got his poker face on in the most biblical sense of that word. <laughs> and what's the closer relative say? I will redeem it. Oh, man. That's not how this is supposed to go. Your fill-ins. Boaz gives the closer relative the opportunity to purchase Naomi's property. The closer relative initially accepts the offer. He simply says, I will redeem it. I will fulfill the role of kinsman redeemer. This is part of our culture. This is part of our belief system. Is he doing it out of obligation, out of responsibility? We, we don't know. But his answer is the right answer, unless you're Boaz. Verse 5, then Boaz said, oh, by the way, I, I, I left out one small detail. On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, still carrying that label, that song you just sang and the way you ended it was Perfect for this. Ruth from Moab. Ruth, an alien. Ruth, not really one of us. Still carrying that, that label. On the day that you buy the land from Naomi and Ruth, the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with this property. It, it, it's like those, you know, those TV commercials for Jinsu knives or whatever they're selling these days. and They go through all that and it's like, but wait, there's more. <laughs> Ordered by midnight tonight, you'll get a second set absolutely free. Just pay sec you know, double the shipping and blah, 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 blah. 
This piece of land can be yours. You just need to buy it, pay a reasonable price. That will provide for the widow. That will keep things going. I will redeem it. Oh, by the way, there, there's some fringe benefits that go with this land. You also take on the responsibility for Ruth because her husband has died, implied in here also to provide for Naomi. But specifically, Ruth, the Moabitess. Ruth, not really from around here. Yeah, that Ruth. Some people in our modern age read this and go, this is why I don't like the Bible. Here is a female being downgraded, treated exactly like a piece of property. It's ownership. That's the problem. This is such a patriarchal society. And Okay, the world has changed and cultural values have changed. But please realize that this system is not about ownership of another person. This is not some kind of trafficking of women, okay? This, this is the safety net of protection to provide for her needs. So you've got to be really careful looking back on Scripture through contemporary lenses and ascribing our values to it and our current way of looking at things. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, oh, that's different. Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. We get no further explanation from this. Does he have other offspring? Is there a, is there a thought that this is going to complicate his family life relationally? Is this going to divide the inheritance among too many people? We, we don't get that background. And commentators love this kind of stuff. They will go crazy and inasmuch as therefore thisly, thusly, and on and on and on and on. Why can't we sometimes just say God didn't bother to tell us that part? I, I see no need to speculate. It's a culture we don't fully understand. He simply says, I, I can't do it. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. You know, land back in Bible times was not only a big part of wealth accumulation, it was also part of God's original covenant with Abraham. Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to give you a child. Sarah, past childbearing age, says, not with me. Gives her servant girl Hagar, she and Abraham relation, have relations, and they have relations. A son by the name of Ishmael is born. God says, no, 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 that may be the custom of the day, but I said I'm going to bless you two with the child. Not just a child, many kids like sands of the seashore, like stars of the heavens. Sarah, when people see you coming at the mall before you can even reach for your phone to pull up your grandkid pictures, they will turn and go away. That many kids. Wow. Wow. And ultimately, through one of your descendants, I will bless every nation on the earth. But part of that covenant was also, I'm not going to leave you in Ur of the Chaldees. I've got a new home picked out for you. We find out later it's the nation of Israel. You cannot separate land from covenant in the Hebrew scriptures. And so this is so much more than just providing for two women financially. This is a, a big part of God's overall, just the, the big picture of things. Then we get a parenthesis. The writer fills the readers in on a tradition that has evidently passed away. 
He says, now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party did what? Took off his sandal. This is not my sandal. But let's pretend. What would happen is one, one party would take off his sandal and he would hand it to the other party. I don't know why they did this. I think it's kind of weird. But evidently that has passed away as a tradition by the time this book is written down. And so the author felt the need to explain it to them, the original readers, and we sure need it today. Can you imagine going to a courthouse and going, babe, you got on sandals today? We're going we're, we're to need one of those. That's just not how we ratify contracts, but it would seem to be absolutely as binding as any legal contract with 84 pages of legalese and lots of subpoints and addendums. This was a method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. He takes off his sandal. With the transfer of property comes the responsibility to care for Ruth. The closer relative changes his mind and asks Boaz to replace him. First he says, yeah, let's go for it. I'll take that land. When he finds out what's really involved, he's like, nope, Boaz, it's yours. So he takes off his sandal. Don't make me walk all the way down there, man. Are you excited about Ruth or aren't you? Come meet me halfway, brother. <laughs> there you go. It's all yours. You might want to, at some point tonight, return that to my wife. That would probably be a good plan. <laughs> at this point, Boaz announced to the elders and all the people. This is now a public announcement. Private negotiation followed by public announcement. Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Killian and Malon. And again, not to read too much into that, but you know what? That's what the Bible says baptism is all about. We got people here from all different denominations. We got people who dunk. We got people who sprinkle. We got people who pour. We probably got people who dry clean. Okay? <laughs> the, the, the emphasis is not on the mode of baptism. The emphasis is on the meaning of baptism. It's publicly identifying with Christ. And many places around the world where walk through the Bible is active. It's not until the point of baptism when you go public with your faith that oftentimes you begin to pay the price from your friends and neighbors. And so here, here you have kind of an early pattern of that, that, that it's, it's a private negotiation. A deal has been made, and now you tell people about it. I had people raise their hands last night. You had people stand up this morning. If you trusted Christ as your Savior or, or you made another major decision this week, do not keep that to yourself. You got about 36 hours till we pull out of here. You got to tell somebody about that. You got to tell somebody about that. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, still known as Ruth the Moabitess. What's it going to take, huh? Malon's widow as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, 
so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today, we are witnesses. Boaz publicly declares that he will be the kinsman redeemer and marry Ruth. Isn't that cool that God goes public about his relationship with us? He, he, he's not going, okay, let's kind of see how she does first. It's announced to all of heaven, I got a new daughter. It happened at Mount Hermon Thursday morning. The angels in heaven party about it. We used to take kids to camp in our first church. Took some time to educate the elderberries about camp. First of all, they would say things like, it's really cool, Phil, that you would take your vacation and use it to go with the high school and junior hires to camp. They only gave me two weeks of vacation. $24,000 a year with no benefits, except occasionally somebody dropped some free corn by our house. Two weeks vacation. That shouldn't count as vacation. I come home from camp, I need a vacation. I can't believe, we're tired, and this is week one for all of us. The staff, it's week seven for them. Camp is hard work. So we had to educate that. But then, we, then they would say, wow, it's great, and kids would give testimonies and talk about what God did. And we had too many older people in our church who would fold their arms and say, let's wait and see. Life is not lived on the mountaintop, Pastor. It's lived in the valley. They're home from the mountaintop now. School's starting soon. They're going to re-enter the valley. Let's see how they do. Let's see if these commitments stick. That is the worst thing that you can do. Can you imagine? So many times physical reality illustrates spiritual truths. It's obvious physically. It's vague spiritually. Can you imagine if a baby is born? And the doctor and the hospital staff look at that baby and go, man, it's breathing. That's a 10 on the APGAR test. It appears to be a healthy, thriving child. Let, let's set that child out in a snowdrift and give it a couple weeks and let, let's see if that baby thrives or not. You're talking instant malpractice, probably loss of license for that. I sure hope. Then why would we ever do that spiritually? Because they might embarrass us. What if they don't follow through? What if they don't turn out to be good Christians? Like you and I figured it all out in the first 30 days? Like we've thoroughly mastered it now? If we had, you and I would have nothing to talk about this week. We'd have no good illustrations if we weren't still all messed up in lots of ways in our own marriages. It takes time for us to become more like Jesus Christ. And it doesn't even get completed on this earth till we're with them face to face. So don't ever take that wait and see attitude. God doesn't do it. He puts his name on the line for us immediately. And Boaz does exactly that. I'll be the kinsman redeemer. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, we are witnesses, just like at a wedding. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. I'd say they did. Rachel and Leah, two wives of Jacob, 
Remember, he was in love with Rachel, and Laban made him work seven years, and then he presents his veiled daughter, and he doesn't find out until sometime around morning after the wedding night. Ah, wrong one. <laughs> he works another seven years for Rachel. This is the original Sister Wives series right here. You think your Thanksgiving holiday is complicated with your weird relatives? Together they have 12 sons and a daughter. This is the 12 tribes of Israel. May God bless you like that, Boaz, you and Ruth. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. Oh. Now we're making some prophecies. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now just a word of comment here. You may have heard of Rachel and Leah. Who is this Perez and who is this Tamar? You can, you can look that one up on your own. It is a very messy story. It did not make the cut in your elementary school Sunday school curriculum. This story carries at least a PG, probably an R rating. But again, we serve the God of the messy. Even this messed up family situation is somehow part of God's plan. The witnesses blessed Boaz, Ruth, and their descendants. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. <laughs> the woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. Who's that referring to? Because all we get there is pronouns. Obviously, Boaz, because he's the one who's redeemed him. Maybe. Keep reading. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Think Boaz will do that? Good chance he's going to die. Even back then, I think it's pretty logical to conclude that the average life expectancy of a woman was longer than that of a man. I, I think it's here talking about the offspring that Ruth's given birth to. For your daughter-in-law, look, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. She didn't give Boaz birth. She gave the baby birth. This is the kinsman redeemer gift that keeps on giving now in a multi-generational kind of way. The Lord blessed Boaz and Ruth with a son. The women worship God and celebrate his restoration of Naomi. Naomi's back. She's pleasant again. She's not bitter anymore. My wife never has been bitter, but we've been through some challenging times through the years. I watch her with little baby Ava May, and I, I just, I just kind of sit back, and I love her too. In fact, everybody says that Ava May looks just like me. We've called the prayer chain. We have <laughs> prayers going up across the nation that that won't hold. 
but that's what they say. And, and I, I watch Ellen with that little baby. And it's a beautiful thing. I've seen, I've seen grandmas at funerals who are in the midst of their grief and they're crying. They've said goodbye to a husband or sometimes a son or a daughter. And somebody brings them a grandson, granddaughter, and hands it to them. And in the midst of the grief, the tears may still be coming, but that circle of life goes on. And you see the life return to grandma's face. Some of you have been moms again this week who are grandmas. And you're chasing the kids all over the place. And you're saying to your kids, you take a break, honey. We'll take the kids. My father-in-law always says, when I get to heaven, I got a lot of questions for God. Because some of the stuff he does, I just, I have big questions about. One thing he got right is the young people have the babies. He got, he got that part right. And some of you are experiencing that here in week seven. But there's something about a grandparent holding a child. You've heard the jokes, grandchildren are God's reward for you not strangling your teenagers years ago. There's probably some truth to that one. says, through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be famous. Sure enough, here comes Ruth and Boaz, get pregnant, they have a baby, the women celebrate. What could be better than this? Verse 16, then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. Is that a true statement? Not technically. Ruth has a son. I've met a lot of grandmas who duke it out with the daughter-in-law for who does this child really belong to and who knows how to properly raise this baby, but that's another message for another day. Naomi has a son. What happened to her two sons? They died. And it's as if God has given back what the robbers stole and the moths ate. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. We get next one of those genealogies, and I don't know about you, but if you're like the average church person, when you hit a genealogy, you turn on the fan. <laughs> and you pray that your pastor never says, Robert, would you come up and read Matthew chapter 1 to us, please, in honor of our Christmas season. And, um, okay, hard name beget what's-his-face beget so-and-so beget I'm not even going to try that one. And, you know, it's, that's part of when you go to seminary. You, you learn to say those names with authority. You may, we still may have no clue how they're pronounced, but if you say it with authority, people are like, I've always wondered that, Pastor. Thank you. Well, he doesn't start with Boaz's generation. He goes back a few generations. He says this, Perez was the father of Hezron. I couldn't tell you one thing about Hezron. Well, yeah, I could. He's the father of Ram. That's helpful. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. And Nashon was the father of Salmon. 
He wasn't even a king, but we talk about King Salmon. I don't know why that is. It's as if the writer of Scripture zooms out. We're, we're going to get the view not of the putt from right at the green level, but from the blimp that's covering the event. And look at this fairway. Look how skinny it is. Look at how many sand traps there are. Look at all that. It's, it's the bigger perspective on it. Salmon was the, was the father of Boaz. Now we're current. Now we're going to go forward. By the way, this is why a lot of people think that it was um, Samuel, I started to say Salmon, Samuel who wrote this book because the genealogy only goes down through David and Samuel was the one who placed the crown on David's head. And maybe part of the message of this book is showing that God has prepared for David to ascend the throne for a long time. I think that makes a lot of sense. Salmon was was the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. This story is so much bigger than Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi. Boaz and Ruth were the great-grandparents of King David. What do you know about David? Greatest king Israel ever had. Every king after him was always compared to David. He was a good king. Not, not, Not like David. I guess David was perfect, right? No, and he sinned, he sinned royally. He did some really terrible things. He committed adultery. He conspired to hide his sin by having the husband of the woman he'd gotten pregnant killed in battle. Do you know what set him apart was he was humble and he was teachable. When confronted by Nathan, he came clean. God, even after this, God gives him the label. In fact, this would be the epitaph on his gravestone, David, a man after God's own heart. And that king, that king, the greatest king Israel ever had. Where would we start? It was the period of judges. Times were terrible. There was no king in Israel. How does God provide for the greatest king Israel ever has? She comes through the line of Ruth, the Moabitess. Ruth, not even one of us. Again, I think I've done a remarkable job of not politicizing this book. But may I just frankly say that America is much stronger because we are a nation of immigrants. Without apology. That's the tapestry of Americans. I better just stop right there. I've done so well all week. This needs to be celebrated. It's not whether we have strong borders or not, but there's a need for immigration reform so that you can get in this country legally, so that you can make your family safe. And then you know what? America is enriched by that. Because that's always the way God does. When you open your hands of something you're tempted to control, God brings blessing and his generosity. That's what happens here. Ruth, the Moabitess, turns out to be directly in the line of the greatest king Israel ever had. We know, as the writer did not know, that they were also in the line of Christ, Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the ultimate kinsman redeemer, the ones whose wings are wide enough 
even for you and for me, to come under them for protection and eternal forgiveness. Some of you know Mark Bailey, president of Dallas Seminary. He's a good friend of mine. He calls me his younger, taller brother. We look remarkably alike. We shop at the same tailor shop. We're just good buddies. He's on our board at Walk Through the Bible. My favorite sermon I've ever heard him preach was a Christmas sermon. I wasn't there. I, I, just, I just got it later online. He walks out and he goes, hello, I'm Jesus. And I'm from a highly dysfunctional family. And Mark takes the genealogies and opens it up. All those hard names, beget what's-his-face, beget so-and-so, and come on, let's get, let's get to the manger scene there in Bethlehem. Don't skip that part this Christmas because there's gems hidden in there. There are five women in the genealogy. That's kind of unusual because normally in a genealogy you'd only use the men's names. Not only are there five women mentioned for this archaic, anti-woman, misogynist book. <laughs> That's such garbage. It's the most liberating book there's ever been. Five women included in the genealogy. And sometimes the story had to even jog to include them. We have in our family, my dad was an only child. That was easy. My mom was one of nine. There are many relatives Ellen never got to meet. My mom made sure of it until long after we were married. Because everybody's got a weird Uncle Harold out there someplace. <laughs> my grandpa, my mom's dad, grabs Ellen, pulls her on his lap. They've never met before. They don't do that in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he's like, well, all right, she's a gorgeous one, Philip. Are you rich, honey? Because I've always told my boy, drive your ducks to a profitable market. And she's like, hi, I'm Ellen. Pleased to meet you, sir. She, that didn't happen until after we were married. Mom made sure of it. Five women include. This must be some really stellar individuals for Scripture to break tradition and include women. You bet. Believe it. Tamar. Well, what's her resume? She dressed as a prostitute and deceived Judah into fathering a child with her. All right, we want her in the family line of Messiah. That's good. That'll give him some street cred. There's Rahab. She's just a garden variety prostitute. And she helped the, she helped the spies to escape and not be put to death when they were checking out the land. Then there's Ruth, <gasps> the Moabitess, a foreigner. Bathsheba, an adulteress with David. Well, finally, we get it right. There's Mary, the mother of Jesus. Except many people, you know how they interpret her life. She's an unwed mother. She and Joseph, they just couldn't keep their hands off of each other. We know that's not true. Jesus was born of a virgin, supernaturally conceived of the Holy Spirit. But the talk on the street was that she was not a very nice girl. God used these unlikely characters to build the family line of his son, the ultimate kinsman redeemer. My question to you 
is the next time you say to God, well, you can't use me because of this. I branded myself with the scarlet letter D because I've got a divorce in my background. I'm wearing a big A up here because I had, in fact, two of them. I had not one but two abortions back in college. I'm always going to be a second-class citizen in the kingdom. You realize God, I think God looks at that and goes, is that all you got? Is that all you got? I'm Jesus, and I'm from a highly dysfunctional family, and you'll fit right in, unless you're self-righteous, because you're not going to feel very comfortable, because then I'm going to have to expose your self-righteousness until you acknowledge that you're just as messed up as everybody else. God can also use you in great ways. He has a wonderful plan for your future. Last slide says, God is still grafting people into his family. He uses failures, disasters, foreigners, losses, setbacks, scandals, brokenness. This is how he brings his people home. Refuge. Finding home in a world of change. I, I love House Hunters. I love Skip and Joanna Gaines. I live in an estrogen jungle. I'm surrounded by... I, I like, I've lost control of the remote. It is, I've given away my man card. HGTV is on in our house way too much. And I, I love those shows when they say there's just one more thing to say. Welcome home. Welcome home, Robert's family. Welcome home, Haynes family. Jeremiah, Jess, welcome home. You know the cool thing in this story, and this is, this is real important. Three characters in this story, four if you count God... God turns out to be the main character in this story. Even though he's not talked about much at all. He's moving behind the scenes. He's orchestrating the whole thing. But there's three characters. When you go home, read this story again. In fact, read it several times. Read it each time as a different character. You know what you'll find? You'll, you'll connect with one of the three more than the others. For some of you, you will identify with Naomi. I used to be full. And I've been beat up by life. And I've lost a lot. But maybe what I've lost that's worst of all is I've lost my trust in God. Maybe he brought you this week to rekindle that faith in him. And like Naomi, you'll go, I still don't understand it all. It still doesn't all make sense. But I'm going to choose to trust you anyway. Because I see you're still a faithful God. I see it in this story. Some would identify more with Ruth. You don't have to be an immigrant to another country, but your world has been turned upside down through change. You're feeling insecure. You're feeling a loss of belonging. You're looking at 
switching to a new church. Your job is taking you to another community. It can be all sorts of things. Realize God goes ahead of people. He was engineering this before Ruth even met her husband in Moab. And some of us, whether you're a man or a woman, you can identify with Boaz. Somebody who chooses to look past the labels that have put, been put on another human being and say, I'm, I'm choosing to focus on the heart, not the outside labels. Whether that's nationality, whether that's immigration status, whether that's sexual orientation. And say, I see value there in that person. And like Boaz to say, what can I do to serve you? How can I take the love of God that means so much to me and I love because he first loved me? That's the story of Ruth. Refuge. Finding home in a world of change. Father, thank you for the joy that it has been with my brothers and sisters to just sit at your feet and let you tell us a story. Better yet to know that it's true, even better to know that it's not just history that happened back then. We are still benefiting because of the descendant, Jesus Christ, who came because of these rescued relationships and these lives that were not thrown away. Father, if we have received that kind of eternal love in Jesus then how much more ought to we be able to be secure in you and how willing should we be to pass on that love to other people? We pray this in the name of our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, who chose to love, not because he had to, but because he chose to. May we love others in that same way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, friends.